Christ sent me to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who believe, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. For consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling my speech and my message were not of plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom from God, which God declared before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not 
able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things and is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this chance that we have to gather together this morning and hear from your word. I thank you that you have blessed us with this opportunity. I pray that this morning you would give us all wisdom and uh, give it generously as you have promised to do. Please give wisdom to me as I speak to, uh, to know what to emphasize and what to skip and what to, uh, to, to linger on. And please especially give wisdom to those who hear. They would uh, not allow themselves to be distracted by other things that are going on. Whether they may have their attention focused here on your word and on what you would have us hear this morning. It's in your great name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to James chapter 1. In the last year when we've been having guest preachers, I've had the privilege of preaching six or eight times, and we've jumped around a little bit in the book of James. We started at the beginning and followed some threads through the book, and now it's time to pick up where we left off back in November. We'll be starting in chapter 1, verse 5, and going through verse 8. We just have four short verses to cover this morning. They're not hard, they're not difficult, but they cover a topic that is enormous. We're going to be talking about wisdom this morning. There's a whole section of the Bible that we call the wisdom literature, 243 chapters out of the thousand in the book. A quarter of the book is devoted to wisdom. So clearly God has a lot to say that uh, he wants us to know about wisdom. In order to help you understand what we're going to be doing this morning, I'll give you the one main point, the one big idea right up front. If you're following along with the notes, uh, we had a guest preacher six weeks ago that put notes in the bulletin. And some folks love that. If you don't like notes, then don't pay attention to the notes. But if you're a fill-in-the-blank kind of person, then these are going to be uh, blanks coming up here right now. There is no wisdom from God apart from Christ. And he is known through his word. No wisdom from God apart from Christ, outside of Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and godliness. With that in mind, let's turn to our text, James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Okay, this is not a densely written, tightly constructed uh, argument that we're looking at here. It's, it's pretty straightforward with, with simple words. If you need wisdom, then ask God. If you're going to ask God, then ask in faith. If you're not going to ask in faith, don't expect to receive anything. It's uh, um, you know, not rocket surgery that we're looking at this morning. Now, there are a few key highlights that I want to draw from this passage before we start tying in other passages. First, wisdom is something that we need. It's not just something that you are without. It's actually something that you need. I currently do not possess a unicorn or a submarine, but I don't need a unicorn or a submarine, so I can't say that I'm lacking those things. Wisdom, on the other hand, we all need more wisdom. 
however much you've got, you can always stand to have a little more. So wisdom is something that we lack and could benefit from having more of. Second, wisdom comes from God. Wisdom is provided by God. He has a lot of different delivery methods that he can choose, and the point is he is the one who provides. There are a lot of other places that you might turn for wisdom, that you could turn for wisdom. Uh, Hopefully you don't need to hear from me that uh, the horoscope is not the best place to start, but setting aside that extreme, there's a lot more respectful places that you could turn for wisdom ahead of, of God. And there are good sources of wisdom that God has provided. We're going to talk about that for sure. But the key point to understand uh, second here is that God is the one who provides. And look at how he provides. Um, My version says generously. It's a word that means not just abundantly, more than you need, but it means single-minded, with integrity, with focus. One of the key themes from the book of James is spiritual integrity. We're going to see that over and over again, especially in chapters 2 and 3. If you say this about your life, then your life should look like this. Your held values should match your operational values. And we see the contrast right here between God who gives with integrity, with single-mindedness, and the man who asks but doubts. He is said to be double-minded. He lacks spiritual integrity. That person claims to seek and honor God, but he acts without faith. And so he is double-minded, unstable. Third, God has promised to give us wisdom. Last time I spoke, back in June, we talked about the prayer of faith that will save the one who is sick. And we talked about prayers of certainty, prayers that God has promised to answer and what that meant in regards to James chapter 5 and and the prayer of, of sickness and faith. There's also, we talked about prayers of submission, prayers that you are free to offer to God and he may or may not answer them. Here, God gives an almost unqualified promise. If you ask for wisdom, you will receive it. It's a prayer of certainty. Now, let's consider that qualifying, uh, that element there, the one who asks for wisdom but doubts. This is the person who asks outside of faith. There's a person who asks with faith, and there's a person who asks outside of faith who doubts. Faith is the response of the whole soul to the revealed truth of of God. It's the response of the mind, the intellect, agreements, and assent and understanding. And it's the response of um, the the heart, the, the affections of the heart and the stirring of the emotions. And it's the response of the will, the commitment and conviction to act, to choose, to decide, to follow through on what God has said. That is the response of faith. And to ask for wisdom, but to not have that response to the word of God is to reject God and keep him at a distance and say, no, I won't have you as Lord, but I'll be happy to receive from you if you got wisdom that you're offering. And James says, don't, don't expect to receive anything from God if you're not asking from the posture of faith. Now, let's be very clear about what James is not saying here. He's not saying that the true Christian will always act in complete faith about everything at all times and never have any questions or doubts about anything. Nor is he saying that you are lost completely if you ever ask for wisdom but wonder whether God's going to come through, or how he's going to come through, or when he's going to come through. You might need stronger faith, if that describes you, but the way to have stronger faith is to 
ask God to give that to you and then give him the opportunity to act on your behalf. God is pleased to strengthen the faith of those who ask for it, although it's not always an an easy process to be sure. As long as we live in our physical bodies and um, in the bodies that are born in sin and tempted to sin, then we will continue to have hard seasons of temptation and failure where we are prone to doubt whether we are, in fact, one of God's children. What James is getting at here is that if you ever have those questions and, and wonderings about God, that's, that's not what James is saying here. He's addressing the person that um, has not a repeatable and observable pattern of rejecting God, denying God, doubting God. From time to time, associating with the church, professing Christ, praying, but living a pattern of life that rejects him as Lord. Needless to say, there are people like that in just about every church, including this one. That brings us to the fifth point from this passage, the purpose of wisdom. What's wisdom good for? Why is it so important? Why are we taking two weeks in August to talk about wisdom? Wisdom helps us to grow in maturity in Christ and to grow in spiritual stability. If you're following along those notes, then you might want to write down Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 as a passage to look at later. There's two uh, key things to look at in that passage. Paul there uses the very same verbal imagery of a wave tossed back and forth to describe the person who is not growing in maturity, who does not have that growth and depth in maturity. The other thing that Paul talks about there that's relevant to us at Prairie View is uh, the purpose of church leaders. God has given church leaders to equip the saints for ministry. And if you read through that, uh, and the search team has done that, that's one of the things that they're looking for. Not a pastor who's going to come in and do everything, but a pastor who's going to come in and lead us in equipping and being trained so that the whole church can accomplish the ministry of the body here at Prairie View. To lack wisdom is to be unstable. To grow in maturity in Christ is to grow in stability. And between those two passages, we can see the link between growing in wisdom and growing in maturity in Christ. And that is the the big picture purpose of wisdom. But before God ever revealed salvation through Jesus on the cross, he had a lot to say about wisdom in the Old Testament. So if you can turn to Proverbs, we will take a small look at, you know, I said there's 243 chapters and, and there is. We're going to look at one of them here. We're deep into the sermon now, and I imagine some of you may be wondering when this is actually going to get useful uh, and applicable to you know, the situations in which you'll be needing wisdom uh, this afternoon, this week. And I'm not going to tell you which iron you should use out of the bunker, but I will tell you that uh, there will be application later on. I won't be able to make it specifically to each one of you. Um, but you will have a chance to to sit down with the Holy Spirit and think about what he would have you hear this morning. Next week, we will address specific applications. I got four in mind already. If there's something on your mind that you'd like to see me address next week, the application of wisdom to your life, send me an email, and maybe we'll work it in. We'll see. The book of Proverbs is the centerpiece of the wisdom literature, and it deals directly and explicitly with the topic of wisdom. We're going to go to chapter 2. And uh, it's in the book of Proverbs that we find sayings like, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Chapter 2, looking in verses 5 and 6. This is what happens if you are seeking wisdom, looking for insight, searching it, hunting it, trying to obtain it. Verse 5, Then you will understand 
the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Wisdom is seen as the union of theoretical and practical knowledge. It's the ability to put your life together well. Wisdom allows you to understand what God has for you. Wisdom helps you understand the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord leads to the obedience of the Lord. And um, wisdom lets you put your life together in a God-glorifying way. It comes foremost through God's revealed word. God has stuff he wants us to know. He considered it so important, he put it in writing. He wrote us a book. This is where we find wisdom first and foremost, through the word of God. I believe that was a excellent other sources of wisdom your life experiences all of you are getting older every single one of you and you're going through life and you're going through the ups and downs of life hopefully you're taking that opportunity to grow in wisdom and not just in age young folks middle-aged folks old folks don't get older without taking the opportunity to get wiser because you can do that and it's a bad plan and to get to the end of your life and have no more wisdom than you began with is uh, a lot of waste of of pain and and trouble. Learn from your life experiences because God is giving you your life experiences to help you learn about yourself and about him. Now, if you are married, that's another good source of wisdom. God gives husbands to wives and wives to husbands so that you can have each other. And that is a good God-ordained source of, of wisdom. A word to young guys in particular. As you're thinking about maybe getting married someday, there's going to be a good spot for an amen coming up for the husbands. It's important, of course, to look for a girl that loves God, and that's, that's key and, and, and important. It's also very helpful and worthwhile to find a girl to whom you're physically attracted, because to be married to somebody you find really hot is really fun. That's good. Amen. <laughs> good, gentlemen, good. But third... Look for somebody who is um, not just smarter than you, but is willing to be wiser than you and grow in wisdom. That's a good plan. If you want to hear how good that plan is, talk to Rick Aiden, because, boy, did he do that for sure. Now, let's consider the opposite of wisdom. Not ignorance. You can cure ignorance with education and with training. But the opposite of wisdom is folly or foolishness proverbs has a lot to say about the fool we'll look at 426 you don't have to well sure you're right there turn there 426 the first half of that verse ponder the paths of your feet the fool does not do this and they should consider what lies at the end of the road that you're walking on What is the destination of the path that you're following? If you don't like what you see at the end of your road, you can do something about that. You're already on the way. The fool does not consider, doesn't look down the road. Or if they see what's down the road, they don't care. They want to just enjoy the journey. Likewise, consider the reasons for why you're doing what you're doing. Examine your motives. The fool does not examine his motives, doesn't understand why he takes the actions that he's taking. Um... What? Socrates said the unexamined life is worth living. We don't usually quote Socrates here from the pulpit at Prairie View Christian Church. But in this case, there's some wisdom there. Think about why you're doing what you're doing. And if you don't know or if you don't like what you find, 
and you don't do anything about it, you're a fool. Don't be a fool. And then consider the consequences of the decisions that you make. The wise person ponders the path that they're on and considers the outcome of their decision. The fool, not so much. Acting on impulse, unrestrained passion, ill-considered words, those are the hallmarks of the fool. Ponder the paths of your feet. I got a great illustration of this from myself yesterday morning. I flew home Friday night from San Diego to Chicago, landed in Chicago at 4 a.m. That was the plan. My flights to Indianapolis didn't leave until 7.34. So I went to the red carpet lounge, because I'm a good United customer, and I sat in the lounge for three hours. I got a lot of work done on the sermon. I caught up on email. It was a very productive time. And then I set my alarm on my phone for 7.10, 7.10, packed up my stuff, walked down the hall. Yes, there it is. O'Hare Airport. Walked by the dinosaur, walked down to my plane to discover that the door had closed two and a half minutes before. I missed my plane. I sat in the red carpet lounge for three hours, 15 minutes, and I would have made my plane if I had sat there for three hours and 12 minutes. But the wise thing to do would have been to sit there for less than three hours and be in the gate area on time so that when my name is called and my seat is there on the plane waiting for me, I can be there on the plane, AIS 715, and get to where I belong. But I missed my plane, and that's folly in action. Hopefully that's a lesson that I can learn from in, in the future. Hopefully I won't have to learn that twice. Now, just like the rest of the Old Testament, the things that we learn about wisdom have to be considered in light of the whole of the Old Testament. Why do we have the Old Testament? In light of redemptive history. We have the Old Testament so that we will understand that we need a Savior. That's the point of the Old Testament, to help us understand we need Jesus. It's not just a bunch of fun stories to inspire us and encourage us. God gives us 700 chapters, 2,000 years of history to help us understand that apart from him, we can do nothing. He gave the people of Israel a code. He gave them his presence. He gave them folks like Moses. He gave them a worship system. He sent them prophets. He sent them priests. He sent kings. He sent them blessing. He sent them chastisement in turn. All of that to help them, to help us understand we need a savior. We need external intervention. We can't do it on our own. Not even through the most earnest and diligent pursuit of wisdom can we be right before God. We need a savior. No sermon on the Old Testament. Every time you open the Old Testament to hear it or read it always has to be in light of the cross because that's why we have the Old Testament. So let's turn the corner to the New Testament and see what the New Testament has to say in general about wisdom. The passage that we talked about earlier was from, that we opened with was from the letter of Paul to the church in Corinth. The folks in Corinth, um, they were Greeks. They loved their philosophy and their thinking and oratory and rhetoric. And they really didn't care so much about the cross. This, the idea of a guy being nailed to a Roman cross to appease the wrath of God or whatever, just didn't add up to them. It was backwards and upside down. And it was dumb. And it was stupid. And it's kind of ridiculous. You can't make this stuff up. That a guy who died 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world should have something to do with our standing before God, and that we should change the way we live our lives in light of, of this, 
The Corinthians thought that was pretty ridiculous. And Paul said to them, and he says it to all of us, the Holy Spirit said it through Paul, Christ has become our wisdom. We know God through the way that he reveals himself in Jesus as found in this book. We can fear God and we can love God and we can know him, be reconciled to him only through Jesus. It pleased God through the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe so that there may be no boasting. God chose this way on purpose so that there would be no opportunity for any of us to say that we did anything that accomplished our reconciliation with God. God did everything. We look at that and say, in our natural state, that's ridiculous. That, that's stupid. But when God reveals to us the significance of it, of who Christ was and what he accomplished, then we can respond in faith. And that's what the bottom line about the Old Testament is, too, in, in wisdom. Job and Solomon, they understood this. The two wisest men we have on record in the Old Testament that wisdom by itself does not reconcile us to God. We need a Savior. And that's the starting point of the Christian life. We have a Savior. We have Jesus. Paul is saying not only is true wisdom found in Christ alone for our salvation, but also for the way that we live our Christian life. Christ is our sanctification and our redemption. We have been set apart for holiness and bought back out of slavery to sin. And it's the cross of Christ that makes that possible, makes us less sinful and more like Christ. Later in the book of James, uh, he says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works and the meekness of wisdom. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. It is no accident that that sounds a whole lot like the Beatitudes and like the fruits of the Spirit. Because growing in wisdom and growing in Christ means living an increasingly fruitful life. A life that looks more and more like Jesus. That brings us to our final point of the morning. Wisdom is the work of the Holy Spirit. We saw up front these things, the understanding of these things, the understanding of this, God has revealed through his spirit, by his spirit. And the contrast that was provided was this. The natural person, the person that's still born in sin, living in, in their sin, darkened in their mind, futile in their understanding, enslaved to sin, cannot understand this, is not able to, because it's spiritually discerned. Apart from the work of the spirit, we cannot know Christ or understand what God has revealed about him. Jesus said this himself in John 14, telling his disciples about the Holy Spirit that would soon come. I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will glorify me and he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I told you there'd be an application and um, there's many wrapped into uh, another story that happened to me on my trip to San Diego this week. On the flight out, four hours from Chicago to San Diego, I was sitting next to a gentleman, uh, we'll call him Oren, because that's his name. And 
he's far from from here by now. And uh, we talked a little bit. He was in Michigan for the birth of his son, and then he was going back to his his ship. He serves on the Lincoln, and he's off sailing eight months to Afghanistan. And uh, so we talked a bit about that, and then he turned on his movie, and I ate my dinner. And um, after my dinner, I pulled out my old Bible and uh, my notes to get to work on the sermon, because it was Thursday, and it wasn't done yet, and I was traveling, and it needed to get done. And when he saw me take out my Bible, he says, oh, you like to read your Bible? Are you a religious person? Because uh, my grandma gave me this brochure and said I had to read it as soon as I got on the plane, because it's the most important thing I'll ever read. And he pulls out a gospel tract, and a good one. Too. It wasn't light and fluffy. It was good, solid stuff. And I don't do a whole lot of stranger evangelism. I, I know my neighbors and I know my friends. I know my spiritual gifts. They lie elsewhere. But when the opportunity presents itself, I, 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 I do have the wits to uh, take advantage of an opportunity like that. And for crying out loud, he brought his own tract. So, uh, <laughs> and if grandma says, you've got to read this on the plane, then by golly, we're going to read it on the plane. And we didn't read it too quietly either. Everybody behind us and in front of us got to hear the gospel that day too. Oren was bright enough to understand the basic principles of the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross in our place to satisfy the wrath of God against sin. He rose from the grave. He, uh, he gives us power to live a victorious life and resist temptation. All the dots were there, and we connected them properly. It was a clear and plain presentation of the gospel. He had questions. I answered, I answered them. They were pretty routine questions. If he'd asked a question that was beyond me, I wouldn't have any problem saying, I don't know, I'll get back to you on that if I can. It would have been tough on the plane. But that if, if somebody asks you a question and you don't know the answer, the right answer is, I don't know. Let me get back to you on that. But for him, it just didn't click. There was no light bulb that went off. It, it didn't connect for him. And um, the thing that bugged him most about what I was saying was not that uh, he was a sinner that was going to hell, because he knew that for sure. And it wasn't that uh, Jesus was the only way, because if God wrote a book and sent us his son, then, then it just stands to reason that Jesus is the only way. What bugged him the most was the question of prayer. What happens when you pray to God and he doesn't answer your prayers in the way that you want right away, in the time that you want? And um, there's an easy answer to that question. We've talked about it from uh, the book of James. It's the passage that comes right before the one that we're talking about this morning, that God is accomplishing something bigger and more glorious in his work in our lives than just our comfort and our, our happiness. He has a purpose that he's pursuing, and sometimes what we're praying isn't consistent with that. And I used the, the easy, obvious example of Erin's health, that she's sick, she's been sick for a while, we're praying for her to get better. Well, she's getting worse. But in the midst of that, while our prayers are not being answered, we're also praying that, um, that God be using her through this season and, and he is in ways that we can see and understand and in other ways that we'll never see and never understand. God is, is using her. And, and uh, Oren thought that was just ridiculous. He had no place in his understanding for a God who wanted something more for us than just that we'd be um, comfortable and, and happy. And that's to be expected. That's not surprising. The natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. There's no hope for Oren 
unless the Holy Spirit reveals to his mind and makes him understand the things of Christ and opens the eyes of his heart. I know that I did my part. I'm equipped to share the gospel little by little over, over the years. I've learned my Bible, not all at once, a step at a time. The opportunities that I have, usually on the plane, that's the best chance I have to speak to strangers about him. So I, I was prepared for that if it came up, and, and it sure did. And I gave him my old Bible and my contact information and told him, you're serving on a ship with 5,000 people. There's going to be a Bible study on that ship. Find, find a Bible study. Take the Bible and learn it. God wrote us a book. He told us what he wants us to know. Saving Oren wasn't my job. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. I proclaimed the truth to him. I set the kindling there, and it's up to the Holy Spirit to ignite it and burn faith in his soul and give him life. And the same is going to go for you. Same situation that I was in, uh, you may find yourself in this week. Maybe not as obvious, You're going into the week, whatever work you have to do, employed, outside of employment, whatever the work that God has called you to do, you'll be doing that this week. And you'll be facing circumstances and tough times where you need wisdom. And what I want you to know going into this week is that God has gone ahead of you into this week and is already working in the circumstances that he's going to place you so that he can be accomplishing his purpose and a good purpose. He's working all things together for your good and his glory. Let's close with this from Matthew 11. Jesus prayed this at the end of a long day of controversial and hard preaching. He said some challenging things, and he prayed this in front of his disciples, in front of the crowds, in front of the Pharisees, in front of people who are already his enemies, And starting at 25, he says this. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding folks like the Pharisees who had strong religious training, folks who were wise according to worldly standards. You have hidden them from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. That's you and me. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now, that's pretty, uh, you know, that's not the language of an invitation. That's not very uh, seeker-sensitive to use a, a, a 90s buzzword. And if you read the ministry of Jesus, he was not terribly interested in being seeker sensitive. If he wanted to do that, he would have kept on feeding the miraculous bread, but he didn't. He spoke the truth of God. And at the end of his life, he had zero friends. But then he follows it up with this. Come to me and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. That's what I want to leave you with this morning. Come to Jesus. If you already know him, if Christ has become your wisdom, then come to him in response. Respond to him in worship and thankfulness. Ask him for wisdom and thank him for what he's given you and praise him loudly on your feet for for what he's done. If you came into this room and you didn't know Christ and the cross didn't make sense to you and you maybe thought it was a little bit ridiculous, but there's something that we've said this morning that makes you want to know Christ a little bit better or know a little bit more about him. 
then talk to me. Talk to any of the elders. Talk to Scott. Talk to Mike. Talk to somebody, and they'll, they will help you learn what you want to know about Christ. Next week, we'll be looking at several examples of what it means to live our lives for Christ in a wise way. But you can't go there until you come to Jesus first. For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom or through effort or church attendance or being a good person, you did not know God. So it pleased God through the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. Let's pray. Dear, gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we've had in your word. Thank you for opening the eyes and the hearts and the ears of so many in this room. Thank you that uh, you revealed this to me through the ministry of my parents when I was a boy. Thank you that you revealed this, the truth of uh, who Jesus is and what he's done to Aaron when she was young. And Lord, I pray that you would also reveal it to Brianna, that she would come to know you and love you for who you are and what you've done. And not just her, but for all who are in the hearing of my voice. That all the folks here would, uh, would know you and love you and understand the things you have told us about yourself through your word, through the ministry of your Holy Spirit. I thank you for all the folks that have come to know you better through the ministry of Prairie View over the years. Thank you that we can gather together with many of those folks here in this room and praise you together for what you have done. I thank you that we can boast in you, that we can make our boast, that we know God, and that our boast is in you, that you have revealed yourself to us. Please keep us humble and grateful for the truth of that, and, uh, and keep us mindful and humble about our part in that, which was simply to accept and receive and believe. And I pray for any here who do not yet know you, that you would be revealing yourself to them through the word, through the message, and even through the songs and the worship of your people and the time that we share in, in communion, sharing the Lord's Supper. I thank you for this time, Lord, and I thank you for the words that you've given. In your great name we pray. Amen.